I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Alicia. Well, for the new year, we're in a new series called Signs of Life, Metrics of Spiritual Health. And I want to begin this morning with an illustration to share really the idea behind this series. Um, if you've ever been in the hospital or uh, for yourself or for someone else for something pretty serious, you know what happens. They take you in and they hook you up to all kinds of different machines. And next to the bed, there's all these different types of of monitors, and there's beeping sounds going on all around you. And most of the time, at least in my experience, they don't really tell you what any of that means. So you're just sitting there, and all these different things are surrounding you. And you assume that it's tracking things that are really important, like your vital signs to make sure that everything is going okay and you're going to stay alive. But also in my experience, it's happened numerous times where one of these like indicators, one of these machines starts beeping and going off, beep, beep, and it's like really loud and, and really scary, and you j I just jump up and like press the button for the nurse, and you're like, it's beeping, <laughs> why? And they, they come in, this is how it's been for me, they come in uh, to the room, and they just look at it really calmly, and like press a button, and walk out. You're like, well, what, what was that? <laughs> Am I Okay. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, there are no machines that we can hook up our souls to, to get a reading or a measure of our spiritual life and health. It's too, it's too relational. It's too complex for that. But the Bible does, in many different places, provide us with the vital signs of spiritual health. What are, what are the vital signs of a growing faith that is alive or the metrics of spiritual health, so that we would know what things we should be paying attention to and what things might just be a false alarm, just a beeping noise that actually we don't have to worry about. First Timothy is one of these places. Last week we saw how First Timothy was written with a tone of real urgency because Paul, the author, was very concerned about what he saw happening in the church that Timothy pastored in Ephesus. He was concerned because the vital signs of spiritual health in this church were off. Lights were going off. Monitors 
were beeping, and these things were the real deal. These were not the kind of lights that you can ignore. So he wrote 1 Timothy to tell Timothy, here's what you should be looking for and looking at, Timothy, and here's how to restore health. So that's what we're looking at here at the beginning of the year as a church. We saw last week, Paul starts off the letter by making clear what is the most vital and most important spiritual metric of all. It's love. Verse 5 of chapter 1. This morning, we're going to look at another sign and metric of spiritual health, and I'm calling it grace renewal stories. I didn't make up that term, but it's something that I've learned through some really important mentors in my life. Grace renewal stories. The more a person tells them, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of health. The more these stories are told in a church and in a community, the more alive and healthy that church and community will be. What is a grace renewal story? It's any story where the punchline is verse 14. The grace of Jesus overflowed. A grace renewal story is a personal story somebody tells about their lives where Jesus is the hero where someone comes to experience the greatness of a need or a failure or a sin that led them to experience the even greater grace of God overflowing over and into that need or failure or sin. In this passage, what's happening? Paul is sharing his own grace renewal story with Timothy, one of his closest friends in the world who probably knew all about this story. He'd probably heard it many, many times before. Why did Paul retell his grace renewal story to Timothy? Well, he says in verse 16, his story is an example. It's an example for everyone of what it looks like when sound and healthy doctrine, the sound and healthy teaching of the gospel takes hold of a person's life. And so Paul is telling his ongoing grace renewal story as a model, as a picture of what a growing and healthy spiritual life looks like, what it looks like in action. And for Timothy to personally remember this, and for him as a pastor, he's saying, here's what to look for, Timothy. Here's what to encourage in the church. The more stories like this are told, the more that you know Jesus is at work. So let's see how this, uh, how this all plays out in this passage. We're going to look at it in three points. If you have your outline, you'll see how we're going to do it. Paul really uh, tells it like you would tell any story. He starts in the past, he comes to the present, and he looks, I think, to the future. Verses 12 through 14, what, what he was. Verse 15, in the present, what I am, he says. And then in the future, verses 16 and 17, what he might be. So first, grace for our past. In verses 12 through 14, Paul is looking back on his past, and he starts in verse 12 by saying, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the hallmark of a genuine grace renewal story. It's gratitude and thanks. We don't say thanks to someone else for something that we earned. We don't say thank you to the teacher when we get an A on the test and say, thank you, teacher, for giving me an A. Well, we earned that A. We don't say thank you to someone else for something that we did. So we don't say 
Thank you, family, for me washing the dishes this evening. Thank you for that. And we might say that sarcastically. We don't mean it. We say thank you for something that someone else did for us or gave to us. And that's what grace is. It's what Jesus has done and is doing for us that we did not and could not ever earn. You know, when Paul wrote this, he had been a Christian probably around 20 or 30 years. Of all Christians in history, the Apostle Paul is probably one of the most passionate Christians who accomplished the most and was probably one of the most mature and healthy Christians in his faith. And the more that Paul lived life, the more he grew in knowing God and following Jesus. Of all the lessons he could share, looking back over his story and his life as an example of spiritual health, as a countermeasure against false teaching and unhealthy spirituality, he shares his grace renewal story. And he says, the more that I live, the more two things become clearer and bigger to me, the sin that I need saving from, and the grace that overflows for that sin from Jesus. So look at verse 13. He tells the story of his past here. He says, even though I was a, a formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now this is... Uh, the last written record that we have of Paul reflecting on his own story. This was written later in his life. And so this week I was curious about how what Paul shares here, as he is older and more mature in his faith, how, that, how this compares to other places where he talks about his story, where he reflects on his past. Some of the places would be Galatians, Philippians, and even uh, the book of Acts. And here's what I noticed. And this, this really hit me this week, it struck me. First, he's more honest than ever. I can't find anywhere else where Paul is as honest and as straightforward as he is here. He says, I was a blasphemer. As a devout Jew, all of his life, this is probably the worst word that he could ever use to describe himself, that he dishonored the name of his God. I was a blasphemer. He says, I was a persecutor. As far as I can tell, this is the only place where Paul ever uses that noun to describe what he formerly did to Christians. Now, I think that is significant because when you use a noun to describe a failure in your life or a sin, it stings much, much more than when you just use the verb. For example, when you say, oh, I cheated. That's different than saying, I am a cheater. No, you say, I, I lied. Yeah, I lied. It's much different than saying, I am a liar. <laughs> that is real honesty. That is raw. Paul says, I was a persecutor and an arrogant man. There's nothing that I, I found in all of Paul's writings that is as straightforward and honest as this. And most scholars agree that though this was written personally to Timothy, it was meant to be read and heard publicly. So this was him being this honest, knowing it would be shared publicly, more honest than ever. But he's also, 
on top of that, more thorough than ever in his confession. What do I mean by that? Well, he saw all the more clearly how offensive his sin was to God. Blasphemy. Probably the worst sin he could ever think of. He saw what it was to God. He saw more clearly how he had hurt others, people he now loved, people he now served. He said, I was a persecutor. And more clearly than ever, he saw what we could call the sin beneath the sin. He saw beneath what he had said, blasphemy, beneath what he did, persecution, to the place where it all came from, to this heart, he says, of arrogance. Some translations say a violent man instead of an arrogant man. The Greek word there is hubris, hubris, this fierce pride of self-salvation. Paul saying, it all came from this place of arrogance where I was fiercely committed to being my own savior in my pride. He's more honest than ever. He's more thorough than ever in his confession. But also, and this was, this was new to me as I reflected on it this week, he's more compassionate than ever at the same time. Look what he says. He says, I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And I think this is a remarkable statement. We could have a whole other sermon on it, but let me say this. If there was ever someone who should have known better about his particular sin, it was the Apostle Paul. He knew the Bible, he said, better than anyone. He dedicated his life to obeying the Bible. That was his 100% passion and pursuit in life. And yet he was so far off and beyond where he should have been. He totally missed it. But he says, Jesus had mercy on me because he knew. He knew what I didn't know, how sinful and needy I was, and how gracious and merciful he is. The point is, Paul didn't get stuck in beating himself up, saying, how could I do this? I should have known better. I'm better than this. How could I be so blind and so foolish? He learned here to accept the mercy of Jesus for his past. Some of us need to learn that same mercy. As we learn in becoming honest, seeing our sin for what it is, thorough, the depth of our sin, alongside that needs to come compassion. We need to be as compassionate as God is. He takes into account our blind spots, which are more than we'll ever know, and also our brokenness, the way that our thinking and our underlying beliefs are shaped by the ways we've been hurt and wounded or even misled and have a distorted view of Him and His great mercy. Christian friends here, this is saying that a sign of spiritual life, a sign of spiritual health, the more that we look back on our lives, the more that we live, the more two things become clearer to us. The more these two things become bigger to us. The sin we need saving from and the grace of Jesus that overflows into that sin. As that takes place, what happens? Well, we learn to become more honest. We can be honest. Knowing we really have nothing to hide, nothing to prove. 
Our identity is not earned or based on what we do. It's all based in the grace of God, His undeserved favor and love. So we can be honest. And we can be more thorough in our confession. As we do that, we see our sin for what it is, then the less we are tempted by it. We see what it is to God and to others and the place where it comes from. And therefore, we say, I don't need that anymore. And we can be more compassionate on ourselves and others. Especially, as Paul says, those who don't know. Those who don't know Jesus. We develop a deep compassion for them. That's Paul looking back over his past. Grace in his past. In verse 15, Paul switches tenses from the past to the present. Now, most people that uh, I've talked to, Christians and non-Christians, think that a good and convincing grace renewal story in the present tense would be something like this. It's supposed to be, I used to struggle in this way. I used to sin like this. But here's how I don't anymore. I used to be a very big sinner. But now, I am a little one. So, the lesson is, you should become a Christian. So, you will become a smaller sinner, like me. Look what Jesus did for me. This is how I thought for many, many years. This is the kind of story I wanted to tell about my life and tried to live. But that is not the story that Paul tells here, is it? He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. First person, present tense. This statement right here, verse, verse 15, has puzzled and shocked scholars. They've tried to figure out how to explain it. They say, Paul can't possibly mean this. How can he? This is hyperbole. This is Paul. He was a holy man. He was spiritually mature. Surely Paul knew that out there, there were some worse sinners than him. Did he not know that? Surely. But Paul is so clear here. There is no way to explain it away. He knew people might be thrown off by what he was going to write, so he writes a preface to it. He says, this is trustworthy, what I'm about to say, and worthy of full acceptance. Don't try to explain it away. You can bank on it. You can put the full weight of your confidence in it. It is worthy of full acceptance. The phrase there means it is worthy to be taken into the totality of your being. Take it into your story. This sentence is at the heart of the gospel, the message of Christianity, he says. He says, I mean it. A hundred percent, I mean it. And it's something every Christian, as they grow and mature and move towards greater spiritual health, will come to tell as their first person present grace renewal story. Let me break this down into two parts and how it applies to us. It's a first person story. It really is first person. A surefire test to tell some, if someone is becoming more healthy and more mature spiritually based on this is by the stories they tell of people's sins, of people's failures, of people's shortcomings and their issues and their flaws. Are these stories mainly in the second person? Here's what you did. Let me tell you something about you. Are these stories in the third person? Let me tell you about what this person did. 
Let me tell you about these issues that this other person has. Or are they in the first person? I and me. The more we grow to know God for who He is and His greatness and His glory and His holiness and His beauty, the closer we get to Him, the clearer He becomes, the more mature and the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we see our sin, the more we see how great and big a Savior we need. First person. It's present tense too. Paul does not say, I was. He says, the more I grow, the more I see I have so far to go. When Paul says, I am the worst of them, there's another way to translate it. Some of your translations may say it like this. I am the chief of them, the chief of sinners. Or first, I am the first of them. And it's important that we don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. This is not a statement of his self-worth. He's not saying, right now, I am the utter garbage person, the most garbage junk person in the world. He's not making a statement of his self-worth. It's a comparative statement. He's saying, spiritually speaking, I don't compare myself to other people. I compare myself to Jesus in his beauty and glory and holiness. That's my standard. When I do that, I see where I really am spiritually. Now, we can see from Paul, Paul's other letters how Paul's present tense grace renewal story developed over time as he matured. In 1 Corinthians, which is early on in his ministry, he was writing about different people who had spiritual leadership, who thought of themselves as apostles. He said, well, I am the least of all the apostles. He said, okay, I am last place when it comes to the apostles. I'll be that humble. But then later in Ephesians, toward the middle of his ministry, he says this. He's thinking about his, his ministry and his apostleship. In this part of Ephesians chapter 3, he says, no, I'm not just the least of all the apostles. I am the least of all the saints. Last place when it comes to all the saints. Here in 1 Timothy at the end of his ministry, he says, I am the worst of sinners. I am first place among all the sinners because the more that I grow, the more I see how far I have to go. Now from this, we see that telling grace renewal stories and hearing grace renewal stories can guard us from two unhealthy directions when it comes to our spiritual lives. It can guard us from triumphalism and defeatism. Let me explain those. Triumphalism. Triumphalism is this. It's the message that says, believe in Jesus and He will completely transform you right now. He will do it overnight. If not, well, something's wrong with you. You're not believing enough. You're not trying hard enough. You're not doing enough. Triumphalism has too small a view of sin and its effects on us psychologically, relationally, even physically, all the complexities of the human heart. Paul says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Present tense grace renewal stories keep us from the discouragement of thinking something is wrong with us. 
It also saves us from the discouragement of unintentionally discouraging other people by the way that we tell our stories. I came across this quote from somebody I greatly respect. He's um, a mentor to many people who have been a mentor to me, a pastor named Jack Miller. He was reflecting on his parenting, and he was applying this idea of present tense grace renewal stories to parenting. And he said this, if I could go back again, I would have done so much more to open up and show my children how Christ helped me with my weaknesses. That's his one regret in his parenting. You could say his regret was, I wish I would have told my kids more present tense grace renewal stories. They're not all wrapped up in a bow, but it's my story of how I need Jesus right now. His wife um, shared that he said that quote. She goes on to say that at the time, they thought being a Christian meant not sharing in the present tense, hiding weakness, and not being honest about it. And they realized they unintentionally discouraged their kids, kept them from seeing the greatness of Jesus. Grace renewal stories keep us from the error of triumphalism, but they also, at the same time, keep us from going down the direction of defeatism, which is this, believe in Jesus, but don't expect your life to change very much. Maybe we say that out of a place of discouragement or cynicism or disappointment, but this represents too small a view of Jesus. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So our hope for change in the present, from the power of sin, from our patterns, and from the things that we struggle with, it's not in ourselves. It's in Him. It's why He came so we can have great hope in the present. Grace for our future, grace in the present. Sorry, grace for the past, grace in our present. And now let's look at grace for our future. In verses 16 and 17, Paul, I think he's looking ahead. He talks about what he saw as the reason why he received so much mercy from God. Why, he says. Well, he says it's for what he might become for others who would consider Jesus, who would come to believe in Jesus. He calls, he calls this uh, being an example. The Greek word there is uh, actually a word that was used for artist's sketch drawings, the outline of an artist's sketch drawing. He says, that is why I was shown such grace and mercy, that I might be a sketch of what it looks like to have grace overtake someone's life. So this is a picture of what my future will look like as I look ahead. There's a lot that I don't know, but I know that this is the picture that Jesus is drawing with my life. One thing I love to ask people in groups or in, in classes as an icebreaker is the question, when you were 10 years old, a little girl, a little boy, what did you want to be when you grew up? It's a fun question to get to know people's stories, and there are a lot of people, more than I thought, that actually are doing what they wanted to be. They are being what they wanted to be. Uh, when they grew up. And there's some people who say, I don't know yet. I haven't grown up, so I'll tell you, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. My Christian friends, what, what kind of Christian do you want to be when you grow up? What's the picture in your mind? What kind of Christian do you want to be when you grow up? There are all kinds of good answers to that question. Areas of growth, 
of change, maybe of impact that you hope to have on other people? Here's Paul's answer. He says, I want to be the kind of Christian who is an example of God's extraordinary patience. When people look at my life, this is the picture I want them to see. Wow, God must be very patient. This extraordinary patient is the utmost patience of which someone is capable. That's the word uh, extraordinary. This is patience to the uttermost. This is so humbling. He's saying as you look to the future, and this is what you want on your tombstone, this is what you once said at your funeral. Eric, he was such a demonstration and example of the extraordinary patience of God. That's humbling, and I think we're meant to laugh at that because we're meant to lighten up. God is patient. The process of change and growth and becoming healthy is hard and slow. Underlying so much of our impatience, why am I still like this? Why is this so hard? Why is this so slow? Underlying that, because we're impatient with ourselves. And God, we don't want to be an object of God's patience. We want to be an object of God's approval and commendation and praise. He says, even the Apostle Paul, from now to the end, I know my life will just be a demonstration, an example of how patient our God is. This is God's cure for um, our perfectionism, That's his patience. We say, this is how I should be. This is what I should be. And God says, I know the finished product is coming. I know how it will happen. And I know who will do it. So God is extraordinarily patient with us in our struggles, in our imperfections, and our shortcomings. Be encouraged. If God is at work in you, look ahead. As you look ahead, your story, friends, will be a story of God's patience. Let me close with this. Grace renewal stories are a sign of health, health in a person's life, health in a community's life. When a grace renewal story is shared, here's what happens. I just want to share four quick things. Here's what happens, and this is my encouragement to all of you. Share your grace renewal stories with one another. May we be that kind of church. When a grace renewal story is shared, people say, I can serve Jesus too. At the beginning of this passage, it says, Paul says, God considered me trustworthy or faithful to actually serve him. What kind of person does God entrust with service and ministry? Is it the person who thinks they've arrived and have the answers? not trustworthy. The person who who thinks they have so much to offer other people, not trustworthy. The person who hides their sin and pretends that it's not there, not trustworthy. The person who knows how much of a sinner they are and how great a Savior Jesus is, trustworthy. I can serve Jesus too. People can say when they hear a grace renewal story, I can talk about Jesus in a real way to others too. 
I don't have to think that I can't talk about Jesus with other people or be used by Jesus until my life measures up, until I get my act together. What I share with others is the thing that I most need. I think I can do that. I can talk about Jesus with other people. The third thing people say is, I want to know Jesus. The point of a grace renewal story is not to focus in on or obsess on our sin. It's not to become so introspective that we dig deep, deep, deep down and try to keep looking at our sin. It doesn't matter if it was 20 years ago or two hours ago or two years ago before or after you became a Christian. The focus of telling a grace renewal story is to get our focus on Jesus. Look at how Paul does that here. He says, here is Jesus. He gives strength to the undeserving. He is more merciful than we'd ever imagine. His grace overflows over any and all sin, no matter how great. He gives faith and love to those who don't have it. He came into the world to save people at their worst. And as we stumble along, he is so patient. You see how Paul is putting the spotlight on Jesus? He say, if that's what Jesus is like, then I want to know him. And lastly, when people hear a grace renewal story, they say, I think I'm seeing the bigger story. Look at verse 17. Paul couldn't help it. He said, as he ends his story, it's not all about me. He erupts in worship and praise of God. He says in verse 17, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The God who has existed in eternity past, the perfect and immortal God, the God who will live forever and ever. My story, simply by grace, can be a part of bringing honor and glory to Him. It's not about me. It's about Him. Let's be people who learn to hear and tell grace renewal stories to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage and this text. We thank you for how Paul's story opens up our own hearts to be able to see that we are needy and broken and sinful. It's something that we don't want to look at. It's something we don't want to admit. It's something we would rather not have to spend time looking at. But Lord, thank you that when we do, grace overflows that it never stops pouring out into the place of our need and our weakness and our brokenness. May that story become more and more our story as people and our stories as a church. As we look back at our stories, I pray that Jesus our Savior would become bigger, more precious, and beautiful to us and that our heart to live for His glory might grow and might overflow to the praise and honor of Your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.